Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Hey everybody, it's Barry Katz. I just wanted to take a moment before this podcast to acknowledge a friend of mine and somebody who meant a lot to me, set an amazing example of what it's like to be the best representation of yourself. And somebody who is kind and generous to everybody. And that is Bob Saget. I had a lot of love in my heart for that man. As did the millions and millions and millions of people for what he stood for, what he represented, and what he presented to the world through his content. He'll be sadly missed, not just by me, but by the universe. I love all comedians. I do feel like I'm part of a group, not that I want to see them all the time, <laughs> you know, because we, we kind of hang together once in a while, but then we don't. But there is a there is a closeness, and, and and you know it's a very weird family. You've you've been through so many experiences with so many of them. Yes. And some are wonderful, and some are not wonderful experiences, and you try to figure that out. But they're a very unusual group. It's a very unusual art form, and uh, it seems more needed than ever. All right, welcome back to Industry Standard. Very excited about today, and I have been waiting for this moment for a long, long time, and now it's come. So without further ado, I'm going to give this guy the proper introduction. So here goes. Bob Saget has starred in many successful television shows, including two of the most family-friendly shows network TV has ever produced. I'm talking about Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos. But he's also been one of the edgiest, most powerfully unique stand-up comedians in the world for over 30 years. 
from directing MGM's cult favorite feature film with Norm MacDonald, Dirty Work, to directing and producing the highly acclaimed ABC television movie For Hope, to starring in the critically acclaimed Paul White's off-Broadway play Privilege, to starring on Broadway in the Tony Award-winning The Drowsy Chaperone, Bob Saget shows no signs of stopping. His 2013 one-hour stand-up special, That's What I'm Talking About, was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album, and his first book was a New York Times bestseller entitled Dirty Daddy, The Chronicles of a Family Man Turned Filthy Comedian, which Vanity Fair called hilarious and at times heartbreaking. Bob's new hour stand-up special, Zero to Sixty, was shot in Brooklyn, at the Williamsburg Hall of Music and premiered worldwide the end of last year and is now available on all digital platforms. He's presently finishing the feature film Benjamin that he produced, directed, and starred in alongside Rob Corddry, Sherry O'Terry, Dave Foley, Marilyn Reichkub, and Kevin Pollack, coming out in theaters later this year. Ladies and gentlemen, a man that I've been waiting a long time to sit across from. So excited. One of the most generous and kind and respected people in our industry. Please welcome Bob Saget. Thank you, Barry Katz, the manager, the myth, the legend. <laughs> I'm two out of those three. I don't know which they are. You're, 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 you are legendary. There isn't anybody <laughs> in comedy that doesn't know you because you were one of the people that when the high days of comedy started back up or maybe ever in the early 80s, late 70s, that's uh, you were one of those people. There, there were a dozen people that were managing. It was, And you were, uh, wow. How old were you when you started managing? I was really, really young. I was in my 20s, and my first client was Louis C.K. Wow. Back in Boston, he was 17 or 18, and I found out that Jerry Seinfeld was coming to town for 10 shows at these 500-seat to 1,000-seat theaters. And I always knew Jerry just like I knew you from the beginning. Yeah. And I reached out to him and his manager because you have to do things sort of like in a way that doesn't offend anybody. Who's And his manager is George Pira, who's one of the sweetest people on this earth. The greatest guy. He's uh, been a podcast guest here as well. and he's I love him beyond. Incredible. And so I reached out to Jerry and then George and I sent Louis' VHS tape to them. And Louis got the gig opening for Jerry for 10 shows in New England. You need to see the hell gigs in the beginning. You need to know that you can work in the gigs that are not meant to have comedy. You have to. But you also need to know what a great crowd looks like and if you can make it with that crowd as well. So you're ready yeah. for both situations. I, I'm fortunate in that pretty much the hell's gone. <laughs> but for those first 10 years... You know, I was, I was 17 years old. I was taking a train from Philadelphia up to New York, and I'd go to Catch a Rising Star, and I'd go to the Improv, and I'd wait in line 12 hours, sign-up sheet with a guitar, just a guitar act. <laughs> just, and it, was, and it, was, it wasn't as funny as you guys just laughed. It was a... Uh, I used to sing while my guitar gently weeps and turn a, a switch. Do you remember this? I turned a valve, and water poured out of the guitar. I was uh, I was at the Improv once here in L.A. and I had the guitar on and I was you know and I was doing music parodies, a couple of original songs, but mostly it's you know one step above mime. 
not to hurt any mime people, but <laughs> uh, and Larry David was standing next to me, and it was before Larry got Fridays, and so he was just a, always a brilliant comedy writer. For the audience, Fridays was a competitor to Saturday Night Live. Michael Richards was in it. John Rourke, who played Phil Donahue, and yeah. Larry David, and 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 a, a bunch of funny people, but it. It paled in comparison, obviously, to SNL, but it was an interesting attempt. And on Fridays, so you got a huge uh, Shabbat audience. <laughs> um, but but Larry he was standing next to me at the Improv. I'll never forget it. And it kind of was a, a game changer for me because I respected him so much because he was such a great writer and, and, and such an f- obviously funny man inherently because of his internal pain and, and his brilliant way of looking at things, his observations. Um, and so I'm standing next to him, and some comedians on stage, I don't remember who it is, but it was all prop act. It wasn't the amazing Jonathan. I think it was someone that, that's no longer alive, whoever they were, they're not here. And Larry looked at them, and he went, this is what people want. They don't want, they don't want comedy. They, don't want, they, they just want this. It's garbage. And then he says, they want a guitar act. And here I am next to him. And he, and he was friendly. You know, We liked each other, but here I am with a guitar on. Just like, you know, the Nazis just shone a, shined a light on me, like I'm the guilty one. And yeah, they want a guitar act and I'm about to go on. So Larry got on stage and said to the audience, you people, you you don't know what comedy is and I'm, you don't deserve me. And then he, he told, after he, told, he had told a joke that I can't remember, but it was brilliant. And he left the stage and then I went on and, and did my guitar act and did really, really well. But after that, I realized that I was getting easy audience response and um, that I needed to take the guitar off. So for five, six years uh, in town when I would work out at the comedy store and the improv, I was just guitarless and I bombed for a long time to try to learn how to be a good stand-up. And or or find my style because <laughs> that's a, that's subjective. And now now I'm in a place I just did a special zero to sixty promotion. I'm a promo. <laughs> I'm a whore. I'm a promo. We all are though. I'm a fan site because I I'll talk to people once in a while, but it scares me otherwise. I mean, and I don't want people knowing my algorithms. You know, that's that's my birth control method. <laughs> but that's not even funny. But but, but it was funny to me. Oh, thanks. You're all you've always been kind. <laughs> you have. You've always been kind to me. What I was going to say was cut to now. I hate people that say cut to. <laughs> You're <laughs> a director. I'm a, yeah, it's true. But but this uh, zero to 60, I ended up doing four new songs at the end of it. What was the second choice for the name? There wasn't one. It was just zero to 60 because I talk about being born and I talk about being 60. So that was the idea. And it had a speed kind of feeling to it. And then I took the fake North by Northwest photo for the cover and it's an it's a it's on vinyl. It just uh, just came out on Amazon Prime on vinyl. And the big joke that I wasn't allowed to do on television the other night was, um, you know, with it's it's on Amazon Prime, so with two clicks you can get the special and the lotion. <laughs> so you can, you know, or a vibrating egg, which would be a Woody Allen line. Do you feel sixty? I'm sixty-one now because I went and shot the special. I should have waited a year. Zero to sixty-one. <laughs> you I mean, look like you're forty. So you're you... really nice. Thank you. Well, I've got a girl, my fiance. I got a girlfriend. No, fiance. Gonna marry her soon. She's uh, half my age plus seven. That's the legal limit. So she's uh, she's thirty-eight. She's gonna be thirty-nine, and I'll be sixty-two around the same time. Why do you think younger women seem to 
be interested more in older guys. Why is that? Well, I think Trump has set a good example. <laughs> uh, I, th I think... What's always great when you sit across from a really, really extraordinary, experienced, great, lonely person <laughs> is that there's always the moment. It's like, you know, that show with Penn and Teller fool us. The magicians come on and they try to fool them and most of them can. And in comedy, when somebody sits across from me, I'm rarely fooled. Right. And you just fooled me. Are you okay? I'm <laughs> Oh, that's my favorite. That's my favorite comedy, as it unveils. And there, and that's not saying that that what I you know just a silly quip like a Groucho Marx. That's where that originates. Is a guy that just answers you really fast, and it's timing, and it applies to the moment. But then there are people that just unweave a whole story. You know, you listen to Jerry, and he'll do. I mean, he's better now than he's ever been, which makes sense because he's, you know, he's a year older than me, and he's you know, one of the best that's ever done stand-up. But I always felt your kind of comedy was one of the most difficult to do, and I'll share with you why. Let me remove the guitar from what I'm talking about. Yep. So your stand-up, the reason why I've always had so much respect for you, and I think the audience might not know this, is that when Bob writes his material and puts it all together and practices it, he's committed to about 33 to 25% of it not even being heard because if he's in an auditorium, the laughs are coming so quickly that his tags sometimes are lost and he has to... I go too quickly sometimes. And he has not, to... not sexually. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> I'm a very, very long, long-standing... Um, I have tolerance. This is a, the, I call my home the Museum of Tolerance. Yeah, there's a memorial in it. Sometimes I punch a body bag, and I keep going, I'm not doing it to kill. I'm doing, people, I used to, when I was in my 20s, it would be like, you know, Rodney used to say to me, man, you just got to kill him, 50 minutes, just do 50 minutes. Don't stop, just keep going, just keep going. You got to kill, every line's got to be killer. And then as I learned what my style was a lot of it got made up on the spot and then a lot of it was like oh I got a th here's a special I'm gonna shoot I've got a thousand things to say I'm gonna put them all together and try to go linear because as you know we try to shoot a couple and and get a couple in the can so then you can edit them together I'm not very easy to edit together from two specials um, that's why the music comes in but it's really fun to just get onto, it's like surfing, you know? I just performed last week, and um, that's what I call sex. Uh, well, it was a sex show. Okay, I'm a male stripper, and I'm out of work. But but surfing, it, it's you just go. And, it's, and there, there is a zen thing. It's, it's the, uh, the zen uh, diaries of Gary Shandling. Just air that was extraordinary. Yeah, Judd did an amazing job, and I, I got interviewed, uh, and... There's some amazing people, and Gary had a lot of good friends in his life. And my my life was very complicated with with him and with everything. And um, he was my first friend in L.A., and I loved him a lot. Well, you were represented by Brad Gray together, right? And I introduced him to Brad Gray. So were you Brad Gray's first client? I am ever? Brad Gray's first client. Um, and uh, so the other person that also signed me was Harvey Weinstein. And... Uh, it's an amazing world we're in now, isn't it? Isn't that something? <laughs> he never touched me, um, but he wanted 10%, so I, I gave him 
what was inside my penis. <laughs> but the other thing is, you know, you don't, someone that has such good taste in film, uh, it doesn't mean a damn thing. You could be the greatest artist of all time, and if you've done heinous acts and done terrible things, it's just unconscionable. So I was saying to you uh, before we were in here, I've never pushed myself, maybe, maybe like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, divorced and drunk and stupid, but I, but nothing that anybody would say, Bob did this to me, you know, but I, I just, uh, I'm a shy guy kind of. So I would, people needed to be, uh, hitting on me basically because i i'm not that guy you know i would roofie myself before <laughs> someone else and um so it's a real we we have a lot of crap going on in the world right now that makes me want to do stand-up it's so strange because i didn't think at 61 i'd be going oh no i've got to go okay i did this theater i did all these theaters now i got to come up with a new hour because they did the special and so I got to go do some clubs. So I'm going to go do the clubs that I like. So I'm going to Comedy Works in Denver. I'm going to the places that make me feel good that I can riff. Because you don't want people to buy a hard ticket and then you're out on stage doing 20 minutes of just fucking around. That's not fair to them. Unless it, it can get quiet. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want a couple thousand people there to get quiet. You want to, you know, refine it to some point. So when people are paying money, Everything is is meticulous. You've done every cylinder in the engine of the entertainment business. You've done ten different things from directing to producing to stand up to acting dramatically, acting comedically, hosting, writing a book. Every single cylinder in your engine has I love been it. used. And you've been enormously successful one of the most financially successful people when you consider the length of time of full house fuller house america's funniest home videos <laughs> so i think what the audience would love to know is you just got engaged yeah you have a beautiful woman why not go on vacation with her to some exotic island and enjoy the time you have with her than going well, we out do. to we, the HaHa's Chuckle Hut in Peoria, Illinois. Right. I, I look at examples like, you know, you can have an island like Johnny Depp, but, you know, I think he would have rather been in Denver at the Comedy Works than what happened to him. Um, and he's a talented guy, you know, but, and he has to work. Um, I mean, he doesn't have to financially. I don't know nothing about him at all, except he's talented and he's been through some stupid you know hard difficult uh press of things that he's done or not done i'm not a judge i don't know but it doesn't doesn't look good but i i need to work because i can't really enjoy a vacation unless i feel like i've put a huge body of work behind me but you did you did the and special I do, but i did i did the special and then um and then i i went with uh, my fiance and two of my daughters to cabo and then um, we went away for a week, and then my fiance and I went. She doesn't have a name; we just call her my fiance. <laughs> She's she. Uh, we went to do the Bill Maher show in Hawaii, the thing that he does. We played Maui and Oahu, so that that was back to work, in a way. But there's something incredibly satisfying about working really hard. I have I just have ingrained in me from my dad this work ethic thing, and then I feel good. Then I feel like I. Uh, <laughs> 
to put it uh, offensively, got my nut. You know, I, and then I directed this movie that you helped me with. Thank you very Benjamin. much, Benjamin. Benjamin, which is coming out in the fall, and it's got a wonderful cast and Sherry O'Terry, who's adorable in it, and it's Rob Corddry and Kevin Pollock and Marilyn Rice Cub and Dave Foley. And uh, the premise is my my son, we believe, is on crystal meth, so it's a serious premise with a dark comedy twist to it. And the intervention is called on Facebook by my girlfriend, Marilyn Rice Cub in the movie, and playing my girlfriend. And then uh, all of a sudden, craziness ensues because Rob Corddry is the gynecologist that leads the intervention. And that's not who you would have lead an intervention. So it just, the people around you are more screwed up usually than the kid with the problem. So they're the ones with the problem. But, but all, all I was gonna say was, when I worked on that, that was a 15 day shoot, which was, as you know, when we talked, insane. It's a, it's not enough time, you know, 21 is, you could make it in 21 days, but a 15 day to tell a, a real story. And we did it. We did the best we could. And Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success, a one of a kind all access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. I, I love the movie. And then it comes out in the fall. And it's something I'm crazy proud of because you spend months in prep. I spent seven years trying to get it made. It was uh, written by this guy, Joshua Turk, a young writer and a producer, Nicholas Tabarak, and, you know, Tabarak, that's it. Know your producer's name. Um, and it's a, uh, it's something special. If you see a condo you want to get in Palm Springs, and it's 500 to a million to million five. You've just lost four-tenths of the audience. <laughs> you take out a loan and you buy the place you want to go in or whatever it is. Maybe it's a person's first home and they go and they get it. So why, when you got this material seven years ago, didn't you just say, hey, let me just take out a business loan and let me finance this movie and do it myself and not have to worry about bringing in financers to finance the movie? Did somebody tell you long ago, don't put money into your own project? Yeah, I was told that by everybody, pretty much everybody. And the people I know that have financed their own projects, with the exception of one or two, all lost all the money they invested. And I have friends that are successful and they spent millions of dollars making a movie the way they wanted to make it and it it just didn't happen. So how do you convince investors knowing you know that? Well, when you make a movie for half a million dollars, they're gonna get their money back. You know, when you go this, I mean, I, I'm not a guy that can go on Kickstarter and go, hey, please, everybody, uh, help support my film when they're going, well, wait a second. It says here on Google that Bob's net worth is, which is not true, whatever the net worth says on Google, that's just insanity. That's like, uh, but um, it just, getting the investors to believe in it. There's also something nice about 
um, and it's going to sound stupid because this is not how business works, but getting someone's money back for them and then making them money. I find satisfaction in that. I, I, that that's me like I used to be a deli clerk. <laughs> I went to, I went to a college at Temple University. I lived at home. I had nothing. Um, I made films, student films. I won the student Oscar for a movie I made about my nephew that had his face reconstructed. Um, which is very similar to this movie that's out right now, uh, Wonder. Um, it's the same syndrome my nephew had, Treacher Collins syndrome. And he had a surgery where they rebuilt his face. And so I made this film while I was a deli clerk and while I was doing stand-up. And I, I, didn't, I didn't have a dollar. I mean, I, I took all the money into uh, taking out a girlfriend and buying film stock. Remember back then, you used to buy the, the short ends. Uh, yeah, and it was 16 millimeters. Yeah, so you could go to movie houses and buy the short ends, which was the unused footage. Yeah. And that's how you'd make the movies. Yeah, cheaper. that's accurate. You could you could go buy, or someone would, the film that would go in the magazine, You the, those were short ends also where you'd buy, that would be the raw stock. But um, none of that exists anymore. It's all digital. And if it had been, I would have probably made better product because you could shoot more. You won the student Oscar. How could you do better? I'd have a film career. <laughs> Get to direct whatever I wanted. And I thought, and I got into USC, and I was going to go there. And I went for three days. And um, then the dean gave some speech like, well, if you're lucky, you can win a Student Academy Award. And I was sitting there going, I just won one. You know, bitch, I'm out of here. And I ended up working at the comedy store. Mitzi said, you should work here. So I worked at the comedy store, uh, you know, at that time it was pre-strike, so. So how I, long did it take you to pass? I passed uh, the moment I came to L.A. when I won the student Oscar. I brought my guitar. I went on stage at the comedy store, and she asked me to be a regular. And she never really liked guitar acts that much. No. She liked was Dennis Blair. Likeable. Remember Dennis Blair when he came? Yeah. And, and Kelly Rogers she kind of uh, liked. <laughs> Um, and she really liked um, Denny Johnson. Yeah. And Denny was a guitar act, but he, Denny had a couple great songs. He had a, that song, You're an Asshole, which was like the best song. It was really pretty. I think I'll sing it. But, <laughs> but she, um, she just took a liking to my likability. But it didn't mean she, she was going to be easy to deal with. You know, one time I was in Vegas. She had the comedy store at the Dunes Hotel. And this is like seven, eight years of me going to acting classes, me trying to, you know, doing a improv, paying to be in the Groundlings acting class. And you're living in a studio on Palm. I was living in Palm. Did you have a roommate or? I did not. And then I moved. Well, Dave Coulier came out to L.A. and needed a place to stay and he crashed on my couch. Was he from Philly too? He was from Detroit. How did you know him? Uh, Mike Binder, a mutual friend from Detroit, who I knew from L.A., said, my friend Dave's coming out. Uh, and I met Dave in Detroit at a club called the Delta Lady on Woodward, and I liked him, and he seemed like a good guy. So way before Full House, we were buddies. And then I would I moved to Hollywood. I lived on Camino Palmero, the famous, beautiful street, Ozzie and Harriet's house at the end. When you were in Philly, were you starting with The Amazing Wid, that great prop act? I knew The Amazing Wid. And Wayne Cotter? I liked Wayne Cotter. Great monologist. Yeah. Tom Wilson used to open for me, and he played the tuba. And, of course, he was Biff in the Back to the Future movies. And who else? Craig Shoemaker opened for me. Of course, the love master. A love master. And then he retired, and now he's back. <laughs> How did he retire? I don't know. I mean, I don't see myself at 90 
you know, doing stand-up. I in see you five- at 90 doing stand-up. You know why? Because you have a Rickle-esque quality about you where it's almost like there's a channeling of Rickles in you and the work there ethic. There is from the- knowing him and, and from just loving him. And he influenced me a lot. And there there is a work ethic about it. But I want to direct more movies because I love that too. But that's up to the people. No, it's not <laughs> up to the people. It's no, it's up, up to, to you me. now. Yeah, it is. You're and right. And you did that with Benjamin. What's shocking, when I read the script, and I never told you this because I didn't want to say anything to you until after because it's not my place. And I read this movie, and I just want to go on record because I hate everything. I like the movie. I like the script a lot. And, you know, I wasn't like, this is the most uh, extraordinary thing I love, but I love dark comedies. Right. Very bad things. One of my favorite movies of all yeah, time. Yeah, that's that, that's real dark. We don't we don't hack nobody up. In yeah. This thing. But when I thought about it after I read it, I said, "My God!" Because you had said you'd worked five or seven years on it when we talked on the phone, and I thought to myself, "Bob knows the business. He knows huggable and lovable wins the race. Yet every one of these characters in this film." are like arrested development. They're these incredible, powerful characters who are not necessarily huggable and lovable. No, there's a narcissism. And number two is the fact that you know from your success that dark comedies are the toughest movies to be hugely successful. No, you're you're spot on. And, and, and the movie is well written in that it has a few... Uh, it, it, plot points that are wonderful there's some great story elements but it takes place within 24 hours during an intervention so it's built in some dilemmas and the characters are built in dilemmas you could choose to do anything you wanted now i I will recommend anybody to see this film well the point i'm trying to make is that you have a choice to do any movie you want to do as a director and producer well i don't have that i can't no one's going to give me a 60 million dollar movie five hundred thousand dollar movies you have a choice i can get a a five hundred thousand dollar movie and so you decide to do this lane of a movie and i'm not saying that it's not great because it is great well i have the answer i'll tell you why I have three kids. I I was um, misunderstood as a kid. I was a 15-year-old boy that couldn't have been more miserable. Everybody around me was, in my life, dying. I lost two sisters by the time while I was in my 20s. I had lost both my sisters, one to scleroderma, hardening of the skin disease, and the other to a brain aneurysm. It should be known that Bob does this incredible benefit every year for his sister who died of scleroderma. Comedians will do anything to work on that benefit. It's so nice, and and I will uh, just say it. I mean, over the past 25 years, I guess 28 years ago, Robin Williams was, was the first person that did it because the woman that founded it, Sharon Monsky, had the disease, and she was five foot four, and you could see that the disease is readable in a lot of people's faces because their skin starts to tense up, and there's too much collagen. It makes your skin taut. It's very hard to explain, but it's an autoimmune disease and vascular, and comedians have, we, Sharon Monsky, this great lady, came up with cool comedy hot cuisine, and we've done We've raised $46 million in 25 years. And that money has gone to research that has truly helped people. I know people that are in what you would call remission. They are, no, it stopped being aggressive. And 28 years ago, there was no remission. My my sister died in 94. I think she would have had a real shot to be alive if 
we'd have known. And I'd have taken her to Johns Hopkins, one of the centers we fund that has thousands of patients with the disease. When I interviewed Rita Rudner, she told me about her daughter wanting to be a singer. And she just went ahead and said, I can give you anything. The lessons, the studio, the musicians, I'll press the CDs, I'll get you the instruments. I can give you everything except one thing. And her daughter's like, what can't you give me? And she said, adversity. And you started your life with so much adversity. Right. Do you feel that's what drove it's, you to be funny from when you were a teenager to the point where both your sisters passed away? That, I think, was a 10-year stretch. Yeah, even more. I mean, yeah, I started doing comedy. They were both alive. And then uh, once I was in my 20s, um, I lost my... 34 year old sister she was six years older than me and then i'd already been out here in la and, and doing pretty well i think full house was on the air when my other sister gay passed away but the more and my father lost a bunch of brothers in their 40s of heart attacks and so we were no stranger to difficult things so gallows humor it's a disconnect it's i can't deal with this right now let me tell you about my balls you know it's and and <laughs> and it just in the middle of uh, burying somebody and crying and losing it. And it's a very bipolar way of, of existing. And my dad would just try to balance it. And he was a pretty brave man. He got to live to 89 and he had a couple of heart attacks when he was younger. So uh, being a kid, being a, I kind of locked in at that. I locked in at nine, really. My stand-up is an extension of a nine-year-old that knows a bunch of words and has some life experience. Now I'm about 16, I think, in, in my stand-up. But I, I, at 15, I had been so unhappy. I moved in the middle of ninth grade from Philly to Encino because I wanted to learn about materialism. So we moved here. But <laughs> I my, you want to learn about Pauly Shore. I wanted to know all about the entire Shore family. Um, and then I moved again between, uh, 11th and 12th grade. So I had no friends. I had a couple friends. So to survive, I was trying to be funny. And so it was really kind of probably cookie cutter version of a guy or girl that is an outsider. I was clearly an outsider and the way to get people to like me would be to make student films, put people in them from the class. You know, I was very manipulative. You know, it would, it would be like a producer uh, in these past few years, all the producers that have slept with all these actresses and everything. My version was, will you be my friend? Be in my movie. You know, there's no, no sex involved. I'm, I'm 15. And that's when you became an insider? Uh, yeah, I really went introverted at 15. And so there takes us back to the question that started this whole thing. That's why I couldn't let go of this movie, Benjamin, because it's this kid uh, played by Max Burkholder from the show Parenthood. He played the, um, the kid uh, with uh, autism. And he's just a, he's at Harvard now. He's, I, I just love him. I, and I had him and his mom over to my house, and I had my way with her. Um, I probably should not stay in. Uh, that, no, that, no, that can't. That's what I said to her. That probably should not stay in. Your son's here. But um, there, they saw the movie. I showed them the movie in my home. And they just loved it. I couldn't let go of this project because I related to the boy. I related to the lunacy around him. 
the family around him, the relatives that come from God knows where. Every time I'm of Jewish descent, I don't know if you can tell. Thanks for the free sandwich, by the way. No problem. And the, and the parking Thanks validation. for telling me that you forgot your wallet, by the way. I never do that. <laughs> Dave Coulier always did that. Dave Coulier is not Jewish. He's Catholic, but I, I don't know where he You made this. him convert, though, didn't you? I think he just hung out with too many Jewish people because he shows up every time we go to dinner or lunch. I forgot my wallet. It's like, what? And it's got like a, I left my wallet in the car. Dave, you're driving a Jeep with no roof and there's no lock on the glove box. Um Anyway, but that was an outsider's point of view. Benjamin is watching all these relatives and all these people. And a lot of times it would be a shiva uh, or, or if you go to a wake or if you go to something where someone passes away, all these relatives come in. And that's what a dark comedy also. I've seen a couple. We've seen some good dark comedies about that. Um, it's like, who are these people? How are they making us feel good? You know, or a movie like Home for the Holidays, which is a really good movie about when you mash the family together that isn't necessarily even family. Here's your cousin from Remember Them. I mean, there's a thing in this in this film with Dave Foley and Sherry O'Terry. When I say to Benjamin, remember your uh, your aunt uh, Clarice and Uncle Mitch? I think you met them when you were a baby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that's like no one's thinking. You know, that's the problem is. A lot of parents are raising kids, and they're just trying to get by, and it's hard to raise kids. But they're not connecting with what they're saying to the kid. And then they turn on the news, and at 9 o'clock at night or 7 o'clock at night, your kid's in there, you're watching CNN or Fox or whatever you watch, and your audience doesn't watch Fox. But maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'd flip around. I want to see what the whole world's thinking. Are you a better father or better comedian? I think I'm a better father. Better actor or better comedian? Um, it depends on what it is. If I'm really committed to something, I give a thousand percent to whatever I'm doing. So sometimes I, I did a show the other night, stand up wise. I went, boy, that was, and you can never pat yourself on the back because it's over the next day, you know? But it was, boy, that was fun. That was just in the zone. And then I did a, a guest thing on a new Netflix show called A Good Cop. And I played a, a uh, talk show host accused of killing his assistant and it stars Josh Groban and Tony Danza and it's it's a really good show um it's um written by Andy Breckman uh, who who did Monk and uh, it's just a fantastic show and they're only doing 10 so I I was in one of them and it's not SVU it's not that it's it's more like Monk so it's a comedy crime solving thing but I got my hands around the part and I loved that more than I couldn't wait to get to work the next day. So it was like, oh, you want to do a stand-up show tonight? He's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, my mojo is c covered here. Or then I've done Broadway. The last play I did was called Hand to God. And that was this amazing play. And I was had the good fortune of working with the original cast. And I, I, I took over for Mark Kudish, who's a really good actor. And I got to play that part of, of a Lutheran pastor who's trying to save this kid who has basically Satan as a puppet on his hand. So this actor, Stephen Boyer, who's ridiculously amazing, uh, has he's playing two parts. He's got a, a puppet that talks like Satan on his hand, and it's a comedy. It's a dark, dark, dark comedy. And so that was, uh, I would say that was better than anything else. What you do when you do Broadway. It's a comedian and actor and host and everything you've done you're stepping into a situation where people 
trained from birth to be Broadway actors. Oh, yes. This is the 18. How psychologically do you handle it knowing that you're playing tennis with guys who are playing better than you? Yeah. I did a play, a big play, The Drowsy Chaperone, which was a... The second biggest theater on Broadway, 1,800 seats, nine shows a week, and Bob Martin wrote it and started it, and uh, it won, like... Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever bunch of Tony Awards. But what, what happened with Drowsy Chaperone was it had the best people that exist. Beth Level was the, this amazing woman. And the play was about a guy that I got to play called Man in Chair. That was the character, like stage manager in our town. And he talks to the audience and then he has some mental issues. And he makes up this, they made up this musical called The Drowsy Chaperone. He puts the LP on the player and the play comes out of the walls. It comes out of the, the, the hero in the play comes out of the closet. The bed, Murphy bed comes down, there's actors on it. So 20 people are on stage, but they're all in his mind. And it's, it's, it's just beautiful. It's an ethereal play. It, the music is great. It's hilarious, smart as shit. And so I'm on stage with everybody who's a rock star, who is solid, um, a guy named Danny Burston, a dear, dear friend of mine, Tony Award winner, starred in South Pacific. He was just Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof for a year, and, and I saw it, and he crushed it, uh, is playing this character in this drowsy chaperone, and it was Adolfo, and it was this incredibly profiling, uh, tongue-in-cheek thing of he was a Latino lover from from like the 40s in a, in a bigger than Ricky Ricardo kind of way, just over the top. And I was nervous as hell to be on stage right next to him because he was, it was Michael Jordan. It was the guy that is just, he's so beyond good. There's not a, a moment missed. Yes, he's been doing it for a year. And yes, I'm coming in for the last couple months of it. But it was, and then I started to get into it, and then now we're friends for life. I mean, he's just this, and he's a beautiful soul. That's the other thing. The people that do Broadway, that love it, that eat it up, it's a pretty special community. It's a really, it's a gift. And and I have a friend, Kevin McCollum. He's 
produced both Hand of God and Drowsy Chaperone. And Drowsy Chaperone was also produced by Bob Boyette, who is responsible for hiring me for Full House. Of course, Miller Boyette was a huge company back then. And now uh, Tom Miller is still involved, uh, Bob Boyette. And I'm from here, from this meeting of you and this podcast and video audio extravaganza, <laughs> I'm going from here to, um, I don't think I would say extravaganza had Letterman not been an influence. I, I don't, I think he literally coined some of those P.T. Barnum things and put them into his vernacular. A special, special smart man he is. Um, Incredible. But I'll be over there talking about Fuller House and what will happen as Fuller House comes out the end of this year, which is, it's so cool for me to not be fighting the devils of, is this good Bob or bad Bob? When you talk in third person, by the way, it's time to get out of show business. <laughs> but would Bob do this? I don't know. Why don't you ask Bob? Why don't your therapist ask Bob? But... Um, I love being on that show because you get to entertain families. And my stand-up is just the opposite. You know, my special, if you go watch it, it's not, I don't want a, a nine-year-old watching it. You know, it's not going to say anything terrible. I mean, I, I say wiener, you know. I mean, if I'm saying wiener, obviously I'm I'm kidding it down a bit. You say more than wiener, Bob. I do, I do. I keep thinking, it's funny, right before I did Zero to 60, I walked out, I said to the producer, I'm, this is going to be my cleanest special ever because the material was really stories about losing my mom and about my childhood and about just things in the world right now and some indecent things that have happened with famous people that have fallen. Not a lot of it, but the normal amount that comedians can't help but hit upon. And I said, this will be my cleanest special. And I got off stage and he just said, that was your cleanest special. <laughs> it was not. But um, I think it's cleaner than my last one. That last one was Grammy nominated, yeah. and and uh, Kathy Griffin won that year. Yes, but I like him, and he's a no. I'm, that's a joke. I love Kathy, but she's a she. She went through it this year. She went through a lot. It. She's kind of like uh, Joan Rivers. I mean, she's yeah. and she's been through similar things in a way, which is a. It's not that easy to come up in stand up comedy as a woman. And there's there's a whole other dynamic that goes on, and I know because I'm part woman. But um, you know, comedians do things. I've posted things sometimes, but nothing violent and nothing against uh, authority. I I don't want people. I want to entertain people. My job, as far as I'm concerned, is I'm not smart enough to be um, eloquent enough to be able to fix things by saying. Uh, and I know we know people like this. We know, you know, if you watch uh, are my friends and many are your friends. I mean, I watch John Oliver. I watch Bill Maher. I watch Stephen Colbert. I watch Seth Meyers. I watch Jimmy Kimmel, who's a, a love. And John Oliver's a love. And, and, and I love Bill Maher. And, and these are people that get out and they, they have, yes, they have writers, but they also know what the hell's going on. And they have an opinion of what could fix things. And, I have an opinion of how people should treat other people and how humanity should function. And just, you know, Elvis Costello, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? You know, that's my, mine is more philosophical, but it's more global. And it, because I never knew until this presidency all these positions that existed in the White House. <laughs> I didn't know that they even existed until everybody started getting fired from them or quitting. 
I was like, he's the what? He's the associate secretary of the what? Of the He's on the list that checks out the FBI after the CIA fires the FBI. But who's in charge if the treasurer, <laughs> what if the secretary of state is fired or anything? You know, I don't get it. This man ran companies, and presumably in each company, 13 or 14 or 16 people didn't get fired in one year that he hired. So why do you think he held it together, at least in the hiring process and the people he hired in this company, but in the White House, he can't hold it together with the people he hires? I think he's trying to be, uh, I can't think, I can't think for him because I don't understand that mind. Um, I don't think it's understandable. But I, I guess you try to just serve all of the people that can do good for you, that give you what you want. And it has to, at some point, be your belief system. So it can't just be business only. It has to, you have to convince yourself. Maybe your motives are business, um, meaning this will be a good deal for the U.S., which we hear a lot of. Uh, but it has to come down to um you know what? It just all makes me sick. So when you sick. saw Kathy with the bloody head the first time you saw that, right. what was your first thought? I thought it was over the top. I thought it was uh, was over the top of his shoulders. I thought it, <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was too far. I, you know, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it matters if it hurts people. Um, you know, there's a lot of people. We and this is not justification. You become a comedian because. You've been cast out of things, or you've chosen to be cast out. You've gone, I can't be part of this group. This is the Groucho thing. I don't want to be part of this club. You know, um, Mark Marin is brilliant, you know, um, and he'll he'll go off and talk about things and go, wow, that's that's a great stand up. He's saying exactly what I'm thinking. And then he'll, and then he has his belief system. And, and, she, we're all rebels in a way. When you tell me not to do something, that's not always the solution. If you do a transcript, a court stenographer's transcript of my last set, you can go on these three th items, uh, he should not be allowed to perform anymore. But, but those are taken out of context because there's also a new thing that happens with all of us. And Dave Chappelle did it so eloquently in his last Netflix special which is the the first one especially uh is you say something that's going to offend people but you weave yourself in and out of it so well that you're able to finesse it and that's half of the challenge and that's what our great nighttime hosts are doing for us right now because i'd rather get my news from them than watch the news and start yelling the last thing you want to do is be yelling at the screen you know that's like that's when you've gone nuts that's like Get off my lawn, you know. <laughs> so I, I think there's, um, if you're not coming from a place of malice, and I think uh, holding a human head of anybody, of anybody, you're inciting someone to respond violently back. And that's not my way of doing things. I don't want to push somebody so they push me back. Um, but, you know, look. It was a selfie, too. You want to shoot it professionally if you're going to do it. <laughs> I want to see sinews. No, it was upsetting. It was upsetting, but it's not, it's still, it, what is it? it the, we got bigger problems. The bigger problems are how are we going to make the world a better place? We seem to be going uh, backwards. Some people think we're going forwards. I, I don't, I think we should go backwards and forwards behind another person.
Well, that's, I think, the most amazing thing being in the entertainment business as you are, the explainability of the fact that 95% of all media before the election was anti-Trump. Every talk show host, anti-Trump. Every sketch you saw on television, No, it's a, it's a miracle. Everything happened. was anti-Trump. I don't know of anybody that went through so much negativity and and bad press. Well, and, at least that's gone away. <laughs> can you imagine just the next year, every talk show host making jokes about you, saying bad things? I would have a, a, a breakdown. But this guy got I'd 64 million people to vote for him, and every time you turned on the television, it was like, this guy's a bad guy. Let's make fun of this guy. And 64 million people still... But we know that is, Barry, that because there's a lot of people in this country that have been waiting for a guy like this. There are people that are, and uh, Bill Maher said it last Friday night, uh, you know, there's the country mouse and the city mouse. And the country mouse wants the, this guy to say the things that they've been wanting to say. They want to be able to have a gun so if somebody comes into their land, uh, they can kill them, you know. But, but a lot of people don't take into account, you know, the 24-year-old mom that's scared living in Chicago who hears a sound and goes and shoots, and it's her kid. And you hear about that all the time also. But, you know, it's it's things are going to change. This stuff... We've always gone through horrible history. Um, it just, and it was, I, you hear it all the time. But we, were, we weren't at this level. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have cable to this degree. You wanted your news. You went to Walter Cronkite. You know, you want your news now. You pick what your opinions are and then find that news. And I heard that last night. It's like every opinion I have, I just heard from every comedian and newscaster the past two days. So I think more than ever, I need to entertain people or anybody that has that ability uh, should do it because or inform them there. I mean, that that's another thing I love about comedians. I mean, they, they're teaching people things that they might not know or, or and then I was listening to Lenny Bruce the other day and when I was promoting zero to 60, I put together a Spotify list. So I got to pick all my, all of my favorite comedians and Lenny Bruce, when you think about what was done to him and how obsessive he and, and crazy he became by the end. People out there listening should watch the movie Lenny with Dustin Hoffman, directed by Bob Fosse. It's a really, it really holds up. And it, it, the man had an opinion, and it really became, became about him because he wasn't allowed to just do his comedy, and he wasn't allowed to talk bad about the government. And um, he got arrested. I mean, so... Multiple times. Right. So look where we are. And he was also on heroin and you know he got to that point where he was he had some real problems uh but he also paved the way for so many comedians i wouldn't be sitting here i wouldn't be able to go out and do my little dick jokes and and everything i mean uh, you know and then george carlin and and richard pryor all the people that pioneered the way to allow people to just get out and do whatever style they do. You can you can be Brian Regan, you can be Jim Gaffigan, Sebastian, you can be an act that you can take your grandmother and your son to. And then you can be a comedian that, you know, Chris Rock, Chappelle, you know, the, the, some of the best comedians in the world use language and subject matter that would be, you know, R-rated. But I just love, I love all comedians. I do feel like I'm part of a group, not that I want to see them all the time, <laughs> you know, because we, we kind of, 
hang together once in a while, but then we don't. But there is a there is a closeness, and and you know it's a very weird family. You've you've been through so many experiences with so many of them. Yes, and some are wonderful, and some are not wonderful experiences, and you try to figure that out, but. They're a very unusual group. It's a very unusual art form, and uh, it seems more needed than ever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.